This is ESPNW's Free Cookies. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is a podcast all about wellness, sports, and pop culture. Do you mean sports wellness and pop culture? When I get to throw this, it is wellness and sports We'll talk about that later, because today. All about lists today. Today. Today, we are crazy excited because this podcast is full of goodness. Guys, we have Sean Korn here. And now all you yogis know exactly who I'm talking about because she's the OG. The OY. What does that mean? Original yogi. And, okay, I like that. And I'm going to let Catherine explain. The O-C-H-Y. What does that mean? Original curly-haired yogi. That's, okay. a, that's probably like a limited category, don't you think? There's not a lot of people vying for the original curly-haired yogi category. And now I will growl like a lion. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let Catherine riff a little bit on Sean Korn, but I'm going to point out one thing, and this is why it's so awesome that Sean Korn is here today. She's Catherine's mentor. Yes, she is. Uh, Sean has been one of my mentors for years, and for those of you who have no idea who Sean is, not only is she a phenomenal yoga teacher, she is an unbelievable activist. She is one of the co-founders of Off the Mat and Into the World. And I have never seen someone, I know her very well, who is more dedicated to giving back. There's no BS. This is just a woman with the biggest heart, the biggest hair I've ever seen. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. Is that what they say? I guess so. Yes, that's what they say. And so she's real close to just this unbelievable spiritual fulfillment. And um, she's also from Jersey. So for those of you who get a little nervous around yoga, this isn't yoga. She's a Jersey fluff. girl. She is tough. All right, but we before we bring in the OG or the OY or the, the OCHY, we're going to do some sportsing, which is why it should have come first in the list of trio about shoulda, coulda, what Free Cookies is about in honor <laughs> of the NBA draft and these young prodigies being drafted into the NBA. Prodigy. I thought it's a big word. You're right. Not all of them are prodigies, but all of them are probably. 17, 18, 19 years old. Young and wildly talented. Exactly. And I thought you and I would each share which sport we think we could have been the best at. Which sport is most tailored to our physical bodies as well as our emotional and mental makeup. Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Well, do you want to tell our listeners what you asked me this morning when we decided this should be a segment? Yeah, I said, I really want to talk about what sport you think your body would have been most successful at. Sure. And then I said, and maybe it's yoga. I mean, it could have been yoga. It's probably yoga. And you were like, it's definitely not (laughs) yoga. So tell me why you think that and which sport you do believe you would have been best equipped to play. I've been, I am physically gifted at yoga asana, but only because I've worked so diligently at it. It's not, I'm not a natural backbender. I'm not a natural presser at a handstand. Everything that I've achieved physically within the yoga world is the result of just an exponential amount of time on my yoga mat practicing. That being said, and uh, I I laugh because I was actually just talking about the Conor McGregor and Mayweather fight that's going to be happening soon. In August, yeah. More sportsing. I love you bringing in additional sports topics to the podcast. Well, I was talking to my friend Adam Rosante, who's been on our show, and about how much money they're each going to make individually. And I had a moment of, wow, that must be the good life. He's like, yeah, I feel like getting punched in the face. And And just so our listeners know, 
We're talking about a boxing match. Well, yeah, and also when we talk about so, how much money, we're talking about likely upwards of $100 million each. Yes. Or at least for Floyd Mayweather, who you would maybe consider the headliner in this fight. So we're not talking like even a million dollars is amazing. We're talking a hundred million dollars. Can't wrap your brain around that kind of money. And and I I bring this up because I actually think that I would be a very good mixed martial artist fighter. Uh, Specifically jujitsu because of my build, because of the flexibility that I've garnered through yoga and uh, my strength and and it's it's something that I, I do practice. I mean, I have a white belt. It's not like I have any bragging How rights. How many belts are there that you could... And jujitsu? Yeah. I believe jujitsu is a white and then blue and then purple and then black. So there's four belts. How long does it take to get white? Uh, you start with white. Everyone starts with a white oh, belt. Oh, okay. So, so it's like you... a participation medal. And then some teachers will give you stripes okay, as cool. you progress. It just depends on your lineage, mm-hmm. what kind of teacher you have. Um, my teachers didn't do stripes. They just went to the next belt. Anyway. But um, so that was really something that I thrived in. Uh, it's complicated for a, a woman because it's still a very male-dominated sport. So every time I would go to, I, I call it a practice because I'm a yogi, I would go practice my jujitsu. It would be me in a room full of massive, sweaty dudes which I, I was always hoping for more female participation not because of the a gender thing but because I just wanted someone in my weight group because if I were to ever professionally fight you would be fighting someone that weighs the same amount as you to obviously for a fair fight and it was always I'm 120 pounds and these guys were like you know 160 up and so I, I it's something that I to this day still kind of dream about but I, I tore my shoulder labrum uh, about a year ago and so arm bars as much as I enjoy them it just makes me really nervous that I'm going to and I was always covered in bruises always banged up but I just loved it it's like a game of chess I actually don't know how to play chess but in theory <laughs> that's what people tell me they tell me it's uh, yes. like a game of chess well you have to I say that because you have to predict at least three to four moves ahead of where you are right. and I love that my brain is so turned on when I am doing jujitsu that's why I'm so terrible at chess because I can only think the next move. I'm yeah. like, actually two moves. I'm like, if I move that guy there, then I can go capture the bishop. Like, and that's as far as I can get in chess is two moves. And that's it. But since you don't play chess, you... I'm just nodding my head like, that, like sounds, that sounds but right. But you, you've attempted jiu-jitsu on me before. It's true. <laughs> and... You're like, o- I'm going to choke you out now, okay? You, you always instruct me. Like, <laughs> Don't forget th- to tap. No, this is called this, and that's called that. So I, I feel like maybe I have a white belt, too. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Kate? So, and, and for listeners who don't know Kate's background, she played for Colorado for basketball, and she also played semi-pro in Ireland and in Colorado. Yes. So I played, I just say pro so ball So she can't say point. basketball. It's, it was 15 years ago. I think we can drop the semi and just go with pro ball. I think it's more impressive. Pro ball. Pro ball. So basketball was my sport. I played because my dad played professionally overseas and he taught me the skills of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think I have some physical skills for basketball. I think mentally it was probably my strongest asset. I was very good at thinking one play ahead. It's impossible in basketball to think more than one play ahead because they're all connected to the previous one. I know in jiu-jitsu, but you know what I mean. Sure, no, so, there's so many not other applicable people, to that sport. So many other variables you can't really predict farther ahead. So mentally, basketball was the right sport for me. And my skill set 
was on par with what I needed because my dad taught me from age five how to shoot a basketball with proper technique. Physically, the way my body is built is not built for basketball. I'm not quick laterally. But you're tall. I'm, I'm five. But you're not tall in basketball yeah. terminology. I'm five foot eight and a half, five foot nine. That's not tall for basketball. So like my height was not an advantage for me in basketball. I, I can't jump very high either. I do have really great hand-eye coordination. And I feel like I can say that because I just took shots at my vertical and my lateral speed. So I can say that I have good hand-eye coordination. Like, I can't, are you going to throw me that water? She just threw me an empty water bottle. And I want you guys to and know I snagged it. it out of midair. Like, <laughs> I will to this day, when you, you know when you're out to dinner and like something's going to roll off the table. I mean, I'm that person, I, like I, if soap drops in the shower, I can catch it before it hits the ground. I'm like I'm like a low level superhero with my hand eye coordination. So talented. Anyway, I feel, <laughs> I feel at this point like I should probably stand down from praising my hand eye coordination. So what sport is it that I'm you naturally? To it. Okay. <laughs> for a long time, I thought it was tennis. And now, for listeners out there, this isn't just a, a conversation in a vacuum. There are actual laboratories you can go to where they test like your VO max and the stride in which you run and they measure certain physical attributes that you have. And then they will send you a printout list of the top three sports that your physical attributes are most aligned with. And so this is actually something you can go through. And some of my teammates growing up actually did this. They went to this laboratory to find out what so this is a newer skills. thing. This is something that's been around for Probably years. the last like 10 years Okay, it started. And I met when I played pro ball. Some of my teammates did this. Um, so for a while I thought tennis. But I think that, that I thought tennis because it was such a big money sport that I just really wanted to have been good at it. Which is weird. It's like, all the it's, trophy money that you get from it? All of the Grand Slam champion money. It's it's weird that like I wanted to be good hypothetically so I could win a lot of hypothetical <laughs> money, but I actually think I would have been best as an 800 runner because that's where when we did sprinting in I basketball. I did not see that coming. I know. I've been thinking about it for the last 24 hours. Um, during training in basketball, I could never win the first sprint but because we, we would do like reps of 20. I would always win the last because I couldn't go any faster than I was going, but I could go that medi- medium speed for a, a long pace. And so that's why I think something in the track and field vein. Ballpark, maybe, how long is 800? Like how long should that half take? Half a mile. Uh, like if you do it really fast, two minutes. Like that's Olympic level, right? That's Olympic like level, one, okay. 150, one, one, 140. Men are probably a so lot So there's faster. more in- endurance than speed right, technically for Right, that. Like I think I'm just fast enough – that I don't want to do the marathon, yeah. which is they're also going extremely fast. Um, but the endurance piece that I can hold a very fast pace, but not super fast for a long time is where I'm best. Got it. Too many hand-eye coordinations, hand-eye coordination sports, you need some kind of lateral speed. And like that's why tennis would not have been good for me because I, I don't have lateral speed. Like I almost feel like I'm going to trip over myself when I have to move laterally. Aww. I know that took a while for me to explain, but thank you for listening, Catherine. And listeners. <laughs> And you guys listening. Thank you. I feel much better that I got that off my chest. Do you think we should bring in Sean Korn now? I think maybe we should shift gears a little bit. So, uh, Sean Korn, come on in. Okay, so for all the yogi listeners right now, Sean Korn is like yoga gold. Yes. It is the the stamp of approval in yoga, Sean Korn. 
Uh, Sean Corn is. Well, the... I actually have an official bio because okay. we oh. have to do the thing that we always do. Was that not official enough that she's gold? I felt that that was very warm, <laughs> and I loved the you know extemporaneous nature of it. But I have a written bio here that I'm going to read. Just a few sentences. We're proper at free cookies. Sean Korn is an internationally renowned vinyasa flow yoga teacher and spiritual activist. She is well known for her passionate and inspirational style of teaching and the work that she is involved in throughout the world using yoga for positive social change. Now, I could go on and on, but let's just stop there. We like reading like official (laughs) bios and then asking the person like, what about, does that still connect with you? Yeah. Well, first of all, hi. 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 And hi, everybody. <laughs> we were just um, going to talk the whole time and never mm-hmm. let you talk, but that's cool. Although I have to say, I'm a little disappointed. Where are the free cookies? Right there. No. No. You're not, I there's think not she's literal. Legitimate. There's no literal cookies. free cookies here. I know, Sean. I got to go. Shame. You're supposed to, we're go. supposed to tell you beforehand to just pretend like there are free cookies. I thought we would be sampling cookies and they're going to be vegan cookies. Kate, you hold up. I'm going to oh. run down the street and go get some cookies. <laughs> go to Joe Coffee and come back with those got, gluten-free peanut butter ones. We got some issues here. We got some real issues. <laughs> Will you um, still do the podcast anyway? Absolutely, okay. yeah. But I still want cookies another time. You owe me, Catherine, because I, I know you that big. you could absolutely throw down some blow good. up some vegan cookie goodness. I figured you would. <laughs> um, yeah, I figured for the most part. I mean, the uh, especially the part about uh, my commitment to social action that that is really important to me and it continues to evolve and grow probably way more so now than when that bio was written and of course my passion will always be teaching yoga but uh, it's still a platform that I use to be able to raise awareness and to activate the community around social change okay so I feel like during this interview, I can play the role of someone who just turns the the platform over to you two because I've heard the origin story about how you two met and the relationship you two have. But can we do a tag team rendition of the origin story of Sean Korn and Catherine Budig? Yes. (laughs) Back when I lived in Los Angeles, when I was a baby yoga teacher, um, for anyone who doesn't know what Sean Korn looks like, she has this (laughs) bountiful lioness curly amazing head of hair it it is iconic iconic and the way she flips it is iconic too it's a thing yeah except right now it feels like a dead raccoon laying on my back (laughs) in this heat because we're in new york city humidity right now but she still looks good y'all even if she feels like there's a dead raccoon on her Mm -hmm. so um so she has this iconic hair and you can see sean from miles away with this hair and I was teaching the 7 a.m. class at Yoga Works in Los Angeles, and she had tied her hair up into a bun, which is amazing because you're almost incognito when mm-hmm. your hair is tied up. And so she walks into the room, and at first I think, oh, like, beautiful woman with her hair tied back. And then I get a closer look, and I realize it's Sean mother effing corn in my class. And, and just envision this. Okay, she, this is one of the best teachers alive today, and I'm a baby teacher and, and, you know, that's like you're a singer and, and, and Tom Petty comes into your room. And or you're like, like you're a basketball player and John Starks walks exactly. into the room. Former New York Knicks. Sean's like, who is John Starks? Okay. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Okay, so I got it. I understand. Right. So I'm like checking to see if I've wet my pants or not. Like, do I need to... You quick, wouldn't have known if you'd stri- wet your pants. You had to yeah. look. You know, <laughs> aesthetic check. Like, can I get through the class and be accepted? Um, and so I just pulled my big girl panties on. And I was like, all right, I am going to just teach this class and act like she's a regular student and she was very civil not super expressive <laughs> no. civil. mind you during the practice so I had no idea if she liked it or not but again kind left the next day she came back and took my class again 
So my reaction was, okay, she didn't hate me. That's or she great. Or she did. She was hate taking your or class. Or it is Who the knows? only class that she could fit into her schedule. Or she I let no Sean choice. talk here. So or what's I, your version? Or I felt bad because she wet herself and I felt yes. like, you know, this girl might need some help. So Can just she get through case. a class without wetting herself? Yeah, so just in case I'm there just as backup. Why do I wear black leggings? <laughs> yes. That's my backstory. <laughs> so from your perspective. From my perspective, my father was very ill at that time. And... Um, I was grieving really hard and I was I only practice alone at home and it's very difficult for me especially in Los Angeles to go to public classes because uh, because of my status in the yoga community uh, teachers can get weird as you're hearing (laughs) from Catherine sometimes they pee themselves and the reason I know that is because as a yoga student in my past if a senior teacher came into the room I would get weird and uh, very, very weird. And so I know that experience firsthand and I felt very sensitive showing up in public classes because I, I, wanted, I didn't want to throw off someone's game by walking in there. And also what would end up happening, and again, I know this because I did it, is I would overteach a class because the teacher was there because I'd want them to know that I wasn't like, you know, completely unskilled and make the class way harder than it needed to be and that's then what would usually happen for me too if I showed up in a public class the teacher would just throw everything into the room and I'd end up doing everything because I would feel bad for them and so I had heard that Catherine was pretty grounded and was chill and that didn't get all weird. My heart is still beating fast even <laughs> listening to you talk about me. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my. Okay, keep going. And I heard this from my friend Baron Baptiste, who's a really dear friend of mine, and I guess he was a friend of yours. And Baron's another, like another wedding of the pants experience when he took my class too. You see, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so Baron said to me, he knew what I was going through with my father and that I was isolating. And he said, well, why don't you come down and take Catherine's class? And I remember saying to him, well, is she going to get weird? Is it going to be uncomfortable? And he said, no, she's really cool. I go all the time and she, just go to the back of the room. You'll be fine. And I went and she totally left me alone. <laughs> now I realize she was completely avoiding me <laughs> in terror. But she taught her class and, and it felt in my body that uh, she didn't change anything up for the purposes of me. Um, I felt like she was aware of me, but was completely cool. And I think you said hi, we acknowledged each other, Um, but there was no weirdness. And it felt really good in my body to be out of my house and to be in community, but to be in an environment that felt safe and felt grounded. And the practice was really loving and fun. And it was a really good 90 minute distraction from my heartbreak. And so I, would go in the mornings and it was early too um which I always like and so I you know I did I showed up for a few classes um that week and I don't know if I showed it like how what that it, I don't you know I don't remember the way you're gonna remember obviously because you're a freak heightened <laughs> emotions on her end yeah. <laughs> open my diary mm-hmm. <laughs> but Catherine was a really like I knew Catherine was skilled talented but I think the thing that was the most important to me that she felt grounded and confident and that made me feel then in the environment I could take breaks I could do my thing I could modify a pose if I need to I could roll up in a ball and and cry if that came up and she wasn't going to personalize it um and again I'm wrong about all of this apparently <laughs> hey but at least she kept her cool enough but to portray she, exactly that she had game she had game <laughs> and I appreciated that and and I liked I liked you 
Yeah, I just I thought you were I thought you were adorable and charming and I I mean those are the easy parts. I didn't knew you were skilled, you were smart and you clearly loved the practice of yoga and I liked your delivery. It was authentic and that's always meaningful to me. I don't want to go into a room and have someone just going by the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you brought your heart to it and there was a few moments in the class, I don't know what you said, what joke, what you threw down, but I smiled and I wasn't smiling much at that time. You know, like when I would show up, when I would teach class, you know, I pulled out the best of me, um, but it was fatiguing. Mm-hmm. It, I wasn't getting anything from the, the students at that time. I couldn't, I didn't, I, I couldn't, I wasn't available to that. Um, so those few times that I was able to smile or organically, like we're a little like hee hee, we come through, was always precious for me because I just wasn't in that headspace at that time. And so that's what, uh, that's what kept me in the class. The that beginning of our love story. And yeah. I don't know how many classes passed in retrospect, even though it sounds like I should have very specific memories but I, I went up to you a few classes after after class and said, hey, I would just really love to take you out for a tea and, and pick your brain at mm-hmm. some point. To which she graciously said yes. And that meeting between the two of us will, will forever stand out in my memory. And I always joke about Sean. If you've never experienced Sean, just go because she will say at, at least one thing that will stick with you for the rest of your life it's just and then you know she'll like talk about like cats and curse a little bit and do something like awesome in jersey but there's just (laughs) always one pearl of wisdom every single time we hang out whether i'm taking your class or we're hanging out as friends that just really sticks to my bones in this transformative way and when that's what our first meeting was and i was just i don't know what i wanted in my life at that point and i think that may have been clear Mm -hmm. and I was a young girl in Los Angeles, and I remember my bio on my page read, oh, this is embarrassing to say out loud, <laughs> actress, model, <laughs> yoga teacher. Oh, God. That's you had yoga torture. teacher third? Yeah. I know. And Sean was like, so let's uh, talk about oh, yeah. this bio. Oh, my I God. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, KB. you're so great, but when I read your bio and it says actress, model, yoga teacher, I don't take you seriously for a second. Mm-hmm. And I think I took it down that day immediately and it's, the fact that that didn't register is something that should have I would like to read that bio back to you now and see if it resonates yeah. that's a poor wah, one wah. okay I was a babe I know mm-hmm. you were tiny I don't even want to think what I was doing when I was like 23 so but please. beyond that the thing that Sean said to me was and keep in mind she did A did not need to take the time to sit down with me and when I asked for advice, she distinctly said, I will offer you, basically she said, I'll offer you the world. I will answer anything you need. I will help you whenever you need it, as long as you promise me right here and right now that you will do this for anyone who asks of you from here on out, especially, and this was the ringer, mm-hmm. especially if that person intimidates you. When I was a younger teacher, not quite as young as you, but it was early in, I was probably 28, um, and I was locally popular. And, I, you know, I, I was like owning the L.A. yoga scene, yeah. and I knew it. Um, and a young yoga teacher uh, came into the bathroom and uh, where I was you know, fluffing my hair, apparently. And, um, <laughs> Takes work to look like yes, that. Yes, a lot of hair. <laughs> and she started to pick my brain, you know. And this girl was charming and, and beautiful and just a real light and smart as a whip. There was a part of me that was just like, no. I worked for this. You yeah. figure it out. I'm not giving you anything. I'm not going to make this easy for you. And if I do make it easy for you, then maybe you'll get you'll start getting my students, and that's not going to happen. And as soon as I felt that contraction in my body, I knew exactly what I was going to have to do. 
And so I said to her the same thing I said to you. I said, uh, here's how this is going to go. Let's go to lunch. And you can pick my brain, ask me any question that you want, and I will give you every answer that I have as honestly and as authentically as I can, um, only on one condition. And that's when you become successful, that when someone comes to you, especially a woman, and especially if she's smarter, prettier, more charming, more talented than you, especially if you feel intimidated and insecure, that you'll do for them exactly what I'm going to do for you right now. And I said, if you can't make me that promise, I, I don't want to take the time to do this. I remember when I did that, the weight that fell off my body was so extreme. Like I just gave, I just took away all that power of lack. So when you asked me that question, it, I felt a responsibility uh, to sit with you and to share my own experience with you and mentor you in the same way I believe that I got mentored by saying like this is how this goes that the moment you stop getting generous you will stop the flow like that that's how I feel and to me it's it, it's it's spiritual it's it, it's what you, you have felt to it do in your body it no longer became something that you had to think about this was just like a duty can I use that word yeah it Responsibility. responsibility. I don't know. I think women have a response. I think people have a responsibility to each other. And, you know, I want you to succeed. I want you to break every glass ceiling that there is to break. Actually, I hope you make break more than I have because I'm tired. And I would rather just kind of <laughs> climb through at this point. I'll <laughs> throw down the rope. Exactly. <laughs> Leave the ladder down, please. Yes. Here comes a buoy with a bag of uh, cookies. Brief yeah. charge. And I, I just really hope that for all people, and I understand the insecurity and the doubt I mean we're conditioned to think in that way that if someone else has it it reflects that we don't have and it can make us feel bad about ourselves well in this day and age Sean on social media I think it's getting really really bad Mm -hmm. the the level of competitiveness uh, especially with yoga accounts you know who's has the better backbend who has more followers who has more likes do you have a solution because it's, it's very different to have actual human interaction where you can look in someone's eyes mm-hmm. and speak with them but unfortunately it's behind screens now mm-hmm. and there's all this judgment being cast on teachers and people that we've never ever met it's just a projection or a character that we're getting from this page sure sure how do you think people can combat that jealousy or you know that ill comparison mm-hmm. that is so poisonous um it, I mean, that's a really great question. I, I don't get caught up in the the, the the hype as much. And it's probably because I'm 50 years old and, uh, you know, I don't care in the same capacity. But if I did, if someone posted something and I got jealous, yeah. there would be a part of my, myself that would think it, it's a teaching tool. If I can still get jealous, then that means that there's still work in me. Therefore, that reflection is a gift. And it shows me again where I have, I'm giving away my power. I wouldn't, I don't want the internet to change. I have to change. I don't care what someone else posts. I care about my reaction to someone else's, else, whatever their post is. I've been lucky enough to break bread with you. Catherine mm-hmm. made lovely vegan, vegan nachos. nachos, which is instead of chips, they're sweet potatoes and then cashew oh, cheese. Anyway, we could go on and on about these vegan nachos. <laughs> nachos. First of all, me. let me say that if I'm jealous, I actually, I am deeply, deeply jealous of Catherine Budig for one true reason. Your ability to open up a refrigerator and pull food out and feed people and make things happen makes me feel so inadequate Mm -hmm. and absolutely bad about myself to my core. I cannot cook 
at all. I know, we're in the same boat. It's horrible. I, lo- I open the refrigerator and I'm like, I can eat peanut butter out of a spoon. That's my one office yeah. spoon. That's You're my very one option. good at that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do take advantage of the, the, the one percentage have. of nut butter to spoon <laughs> space is so, so beautiful so and symmetrical. I was going somewhere with the breaking bread. <laughs> yes, okay. This is the beginning of a question. Um, and that night that, that Catherine cooked these nachos, you shared an awesome, powerful story about a moment you had on stage on the recent tour that you did with the Love Warrior book and Glennon Doyle Melton and a number of, of other fabulous women. And I would love if you can share that moment again for our, our listeners, because as someone who has done TV, does TV, has to sometimes talk in front of people, I occasionally think I'm the only one whose own brain like almost eats its own brain while mm-hmm. they're on stage or, or on a TV. And I think everyone else seems so calm and cool and collected. And then hearing your story about this moment and how you worked through it, it just made me feel like, well, if Sean Corn goes through that and she can make it work, well, then I can also get through these moments when I'm like have to do certain things for work. So it, there's no like um, it's just a heart right, hard right turn into that question because yeah, I really sure. want you to share that story. <laughs> if you could. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm like, yeah. I, can't, I need her to tell that story. Again. Yeah, that's so. funny. Well, well, first of all, I, I think for people who are listening don't, who don't know me, mm-hmm. that part of my identification out in the physical world, if people were to say something about me uh, that is an assumption, would be that I'm a really good speaker, yes. that I'm an extemporaneous speaker. Hand Sean a microphone and she'll just, you know, own a room, own a crowd. And that's become a part of my identification and something that I do, it, 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 it's... It, it gives me self-confidence because it's something that I worked towards very hard. I wasn't a natural public speaker. I had a real, um, I have vertigo. And what happens is when too many people look at me at any given time, I know how to work with it now because mm-hmm. out of training. But in the past, when I first started teaching yoga and I first started speaking, if more than like five to eight people were looking directly at me while I'm speaking, everything would go very dark in my periphery and I would get dizzy and lose mm-hmm. my train of thought. And because of that, I never thought I would be able to be a yoga teacher because I had such a big fear of people looking directly at me. Now, if I had a script, I was fine. Mm -hmm. But if I had to just speak from my heart, something biological happened that made me feel very insecure. And when I knew I wanted to be a teacher, it took me years of all different kinds of training to learn how to um, control the, the, the symptoms, uh, including learning how to make eye contact, uh, first with people that I trusted and then with people that I didn't feel as comfortable with and all different skills, taking phonetic lessons, learning how to slow my speech down to enunciate because I speak so fast and my accent is thick. And that gave me more confidence when I would learn how to articulate. And so I worked really hard at this. So when people would talk about my ability to get up on a stage and just own it, um, I would often say, what you see is skill. It's not talent. Um, and yet people would poo-poo it, you know, as, you know, thinking I'm being humble uh, because it seems so effortless for me. Well, so the event you're talking about, uh, this was the Together Tour. And I, I was on, I was with some really hardcore, you know, these are really good speakers and they're skilled speakers. And this is the first time that I had ever done anything like this that does wasn't really related to yoga, Mm -hmm. where I was just sharing stories. And 
I decided that instead of preparing a, a speech each time and having the exact same story for all the different tours, that I would just go out there and do what I do, open my mouth and let it flow depending on the audience. And, and, and I had enough confidence. I've been doing this for so long that I figured, you know, I got this. I went in there and killed it. And I was very proud of that. And um, so I kill it number one, number two, number three. I don't kill all of them, but I'm never bad, right. you know, but I don't kill it. You know, I know the difference. And, but then this one day, the day in which we're speaking, this is the very last day, we go to Denver. And I remember feeling fine, feeling confident. How many people are in the audience, would you guess? Uh, thousands. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted people to know it's not like 80. Yeah. yeah. Not that 80 is not important, right. but no, there's a big auditorium. It's a big auditorium. And I'll also, I the way I work is I, I have to see people now. Like, yes. I have to connect. There was this, I, I would say, a 30-foot gap Oof. between the stage and the audience, so I couldn't see anybody. You couldn't find your person. No, I couldn't, I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't see them. Yeah. And so that already was a little jarring. But I remember sitting, there's a panel that we first had. We we're all sitting down next to each other, and one by one we're asked a question. And I, it gets to me, I answer my question, I get halfway through, and I come to what I think is a conclusion, just kind of smile and look at Glennon like, you know, okay, take it away. And she just kind of cocks her head and she's a pro and she takes it. And as she starts talking, I thought to myself, I didn't finish that question. Like, I just stopped speaking. Like, I just stopped and I thought, oh my God. And all of a sudden I looked around and I thought, I could feel the symptoms of vertigo. Mm. And I realized that I was at altitude and I get dizzy in altitude and I thought, oh my God. But at that point, I'm, this is when it becomes, I'm afraid it's psychosomatic because right. I'm now so afraid. Like, do I feel dizzy? Is the room spinning? And, I'm, and another part of my head is saying, Sean, shut up. You're, make, you're gonna make this happen if you don't stop mm -hmm. this rhetoric. And so I, I know what to do. I put my feet on the ground and you know I try to orient myself, but I got this little voice in my head that's basically like having a field day, like you're gonna mess up. <laughs> and so uh, one by one we all speak and now it's my turn to go up and I can feel the effects of the altitude and I can feel I'm getting uh, a little dizzy. And I open my mouth to speak, and uh, I, I come up with a, a few sentences, and I'm on point. And so that other little part of me is like, yay. And, uh, and it was just like a little thank you, an acknowledgement, but it was articulate. I got from point A to point B, and it was articulate. And then I turn to the audience, and I start to do my thing. And I get mm, four sentences in, and then all of a sudden I jump to a whole other other thought and I realize in my head that for what I'm about to say to make sense there's so much context of which I need to set which I haven't set and my heart starts to race and I turn beet red and I can feel the, the the periphery I can feel the blackness coming in and that I'm starting to get dizzy so I stopped talking and I turned to the um, panel and uh, to the other women I said because it was our last time I'm like oh I'm gonna miss you all so much as if you know, mm -hmm. that's why I stopped. And I take a breath and I launch again. And same thing happens. I get, I jump from a thought to another thought and I don't know how to get back. And I, the blackness is getting even more so and my fingers are starting to feel numb and that's never the, the good sign. Once that happens, I know that um, the next thing that's gonna happen is the room's gonna spin and I'm gonna have to get off the stage. 
Like I have no choice then. And uh, I can feel the tears are starting to come. And I stop again. And I say, I'm, I, I'm so sorry. And really the only way out of this with any dignity is to pass out on the stage or vomit. Like that's the only right. way. It needs to be something wildly yeah. dramatic People need to see the this physical point. effects <laughs> of it and be like, oh, this is physical. Yes, like this is a real, well, poor Sean, right. not just psychological. Right. And so I take a breath and I say to the audience, I'm going to tell a different story. And the audience claps. And I'm, a little voice in my head said, um, like, actually nothing yet. I Because I launch into... I believe in God. And a little voice in my head said, great, where are you going with this? I was going to say, do you know what this other story was? <laughs> no. And I, all of a sudden, from there, I launch into a story. And, and I know where I'm going in that moment, but it's a story that I haven't really shared publicly. And so that there's no real skill to it. I'm having to think at the top of my feet, mm-hmm. uh, or the top of my head, I don't know what the hell that <laughs> is. I know you do that. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I just absorbed that from you. Oh you just God. sent that my way. Good yeah. Um, <laughs> so I start to launch into the story, but in my head, there's a whole other dialogue that's happening. One is I need there to be context to this story. It has to go somewhere, and I only have a short amount of time to do it. So my brain is trying to organize everything, but there's another part of my brain that's still having the vertigo symptoms. All I need is one misspoke word, one one trip up, and I'm back to square one again. And I remember feeling like I was holding the reins of wild horses. That was the, but my body was so contracted. And all I can do was stare straight ahead of me and just keep my train of thought going, 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 going. And while simultaneously trying to organize, you know, the point B to this. And I managed to do it. I, I can't say it was brilliant. I, I don't even know. I would never want to watch the tape of this. I probably should, but it would scare me too because I was having such a physical experience while it, it felt like pure survival on this stage. Mm-hmm. And when I finished, I remember sitting next to Glennon and you know, turning to her and saying like, what the hell was that? And she's so sweet. And she was just like, first of all, I know you were having a speaker's moment. No one else would. You were amazing. Okay. And, but after that, my body, and the next morning too, was so, my neck, my shoulders, my back, it, it was, I was having a physical experience. This contraction felt real. So much so that the next morning, I mean, I was not bruised, but just achy everywhere from that contraction. So it was pretty much one of the most uh, humbling uh, speaker moments I've ever had. Uh, it was it was a great lesson. It's one I hope I never have to meet up with again. Uh, it, have you experienced anything like it since? No. But although last night I had to speak at the International Yoga Day and there was a, there, there was a lot of pressure because it was all very traditional and I am not traditional. You know, I, am a, I, I come at it from a very different way and I was feeling a little bit, uh, you know, like the psychedelic sheep in the family, mm-hmm. you know. And I, uh, when I got up and I was given the mic... I had a moment of uh, I, it, just something felt a little off and I just sat down. And once I sat down, then boom, it was fine. But I had that moment, you know, I'm aware it's there. And I'm also aware, having now gone through it, I can get out of it. Yeah. That I know it's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not an organic experience. It's not a channeled experience. But it is one more skill that I have in my 
I guess, in my arsenal. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Uh huh. I got. I got to like vibe off of you and make sure my idioms are correct. This is just. I'm picking up that other. Yeah. Vibe. Don't look at me because I'll be like, oh, oh yeah, no. that's totally right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what's fascinating to me because I've had n- nothing like that in terms of the audience and the platform and the length of time you had to like corral those wild horses, but. A lot of times on TV, I do this show called Around the Horn, and I always know which order I'm answering the question in. So let's say the question is like, Tony Romo, Dallas Cowboys, QB. Like, I know him. Okay, right. I'm trying not to personally, like, not personally, no, 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 oh. just like, but, but, oh. because right? like, of Jessica Simpson. Oh. <laughs> he did a number yeah, of years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Tony Romo retires from Dallas, Dallas. Like, what do you think of his retirement? I know what order I'm going in. And so as it's getting closer and closer to me, I'm mostly just repeating in my head what I want to say. But inevitably, the moment where I have to go, it just it goes out of reach, mm-hmm. and there's and the, it actually feels like a blackness, mm-hmm. and, and an eternity of blackness. And, yes. yes, and and I I'm like, and then panic sets in, <laughs> and I I don't even see the trail end of the sentence going away. Like it just bam gone, gone. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that I think I'm relatively self aware. I think most of the time the energy I'm feeling, the way the world is moving, I think I'm on point with interpreting it. But in these moments, nothing is right. Mm-hmm. Like my concept of time is gone. Mm-hmm. My concept of how I seem to other people, which I think I usually have a, a strong sense of how that is, gone. And all of that feels like a complete lack of foundation. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, not inevitably, most of the time, I get the sentence back right at the last second. And I don't know if that's, it's not reassuring because every single time it happens, which is maybe like 20% of the time on this TV show, I think this is going to be the time (laughs) when you can't get it. Mm -hmm. And what I'll share one other thing. Um, I wonder if you two have, like, I have a a kind of permanent scarring from a mistake I made on like one of the first times I ever was public speaking, which was like eight years ago at an MIT conference. I had to introduce a panel. And everybody's name was relatively routine except one name. And I tried ahead of time to like really get it right, but I couldn't. And so I introduced everybody on the panel, full name. And then when I got to the last uh, panelist, I was like, and Jim. <laughs> Jim's going to be on the panel. That's Jim the is from worst. Jim yeah. is from Octagon Sports. And Jim turns to me and is like, am I the only one who doesn't get a last name? Ooh, he oh, he called you on it. Oh. And... Ever since then, mm-hmm. when I have to moderate a panel, I, I should probably change this practice, but I refuse to introduce the panelists. I need them to introduce themselves. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I play it off like, y'all know we, y'all know we, yourselves yeah. better than I do, but really it's because no, every single time when, when there's pushback from like whoever's hosting the panels, like, no, we, we would love you to introduce them. And then I have to. The that level of panic I feel, yeah. I think I need therapy. <laughs> because other things I do, like, I, I don't feel that level of panic. But this one thing, saying people's names, like, I go back to, like, I'm eight years old. And, that's like, funny. I just want to craw- craw- crawl into a ball. So I was just wondering, that's a long setup for, <laughs> you know, those railroad tracks where if you get on them because mm-hmm. of some past history, you just, you feel like you're stuck in that. Does yes. anyone have one that they want to share? Like a specific memory? Is there any specific memory where yeah. like, this was a little traumatic and now every time I have to do that, there is some level of fear or anxiety that comes up? Well, yeah, I actually have one. Well, <clears throat> it's all kind of related because 
it might be the very thing, though, that uh, it, it still comes up when I lose my train of thought. It's like that saboteur. Like, to me, that's what it is, that it's the shadow voice is the saboteur that's like, I knew it. You were going to screw up all along. Mm-hmm. You're not nearly as self-confident as you think you are. You don't have this information. You're going to make a fool of yourself. You know, it's that voice that wants to bring up all the doubt and shame and insecurity that I have. So that's the archetype is the saboteur. The first time I really experienced it publicly was when I was 28, I was invited to be, I'm, I'm teaching yoga six months and I'm invited to be on the Today Show to talk about yoga. Oh, wow. And this was a big deal. Like yoga was not yet what it is today. It was one of the was first. Was this when Madonna was practicing it and stuff? Um, it was like, oh yeah. my God, Madonna's doing yoga. Madonna, I wouldn't. I, I worked would, with our teacher, hmm? with Mati. I worked with Madonna. Oh, cool. <laughs> girl. Oh, look at you guys. Oh. Now you've raised another level. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So anyway, I, I've just... actually never actually said that publicly. Oh, so there uh-huh. you go. Um, <laughs> this would have been, I, I she was doing yoga, but I don't think she would have been as, it wouldn't have been as uh, public as okay. it was about to come Got with it. Madonna. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I am a newbie. I know nothing about yoga, really. And but I didn't want to say no to this opportunity. They fly me out to New York, and you know, I remember getting uh, strawberries and champagne sent to my room. It was like a big deal. I'm from Jersey, and it's like <laughs> this stuff never happened to me. And I'm up all night long going, "What is yoga? What is yoga?" In front of the mirror, or just yes. In oh, yoga? yes, Good. in front of the mirror. Good. What is yoga? Because I'm assuming. This is the question that's going to be asked of me because I don't know the questions. What is yoga? And so I get on set and it's Matt Lauer, who's adorable. Mm -hmm. And he's teasing me about the questions and I'm really nervous. And then it goes live. And he asks a question. That wasn't what is yoga. Mm, I don't know what he said. Because all I know is that I wasn't prepared for what he said. It has something to do with the benefits. And I say, yoga's good for your thighs and and something else and then just stop. And this is all on film, by the way. So I'm I'm not watching that tape. Yes, yes. And Matt Lauer is like, come on, Sean Corn, give me more than that. And I just kind of stop. And the look on my face is like, that's it. That's all I got. And. Then he says something else. And the next look on my face is, if you can imagine it, it was like, oh, I know this one because I do that. And I get all animated and I go, I just start riffing. And then from there, it goes pretty well. But at the end of it, he said, Sean Corn, fascinating stuff. I'll forgive you for calling me weak. And what? yeah, and I was like, Haha. and when I watched it back, I referred to him as being weak probably no less than six times you're kidding me like you got weak shoulders you have a weak lower back you know your your quads are weak like (laughs) did you have him standing or were you just looking at him in a seat no we were doing poses together oh okay and and then I also didn't stop touching him I basically was assaulting Matt Lauer the entire time (laughs) I was touching him and or leaving my hand on him while I talked and but that moment of when that question came up it's like what you said Time and space stood still. There were no thoughts. Everything was removed from my brain. I couldn't have told you what he said, and nor could I have really responded to that answer. I just, words just came out of me. When you say that's the feeling that lives in your body, then the question comes up for me is like, what can we do about it? The only thing that I feel helps is like an insane amount of preparation. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really... See, sometimes I think an insane amount of preparation actually has the opposite effect on me because mm-hmm. then I'm so fixated mm-hmm. on the nitty gritty details. I'm like yeah. Sean, where I feel like I shine more when I go up and just speak from... Well, so that's not cliche from my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. So there's some level of preparation, but you don't want to overdo it. Yes, because I mean, that being said, I have delivered two speeches that were written out against my wishes. I had a speaking coach for one of the talks I gave, and she said, "No, you have to write it. You have to print it out. You have to call." We had to take meetings before I gave this talk, and in retrospect, I was very grateful for that because I did feel very prepared by the time it came but it also left me with this high level of stress my head was in between my thighs mm-hmm. trying not to throw up before I went on that stage because I had memorized it and I was like god forbid I forget a paragraph yeah. that's gonna throw me off the entire yeah. game because like you said one thought leads to another and right. it's not gonna make sense if I miss this one single line and so this anxiety so now when I rehearse speeches I did one recently with Kate where instead of just reading or saying the speech out loud to her I would tell her what everything meant. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. And I would right. go through and be like, this is yeah. what this means, yeah. and this is what this paragraph means. And so I can tell myself, as long as I know the essence of yes. the message that I need to convey, I can't F up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which kind of helps. Do you, yeah, do you yeah. have any tricks, not well, in the moment, but I guess in general, about how to like make that piece that lives mm-hmm. maybe less? I, I do. Uh, you know, I, I, I know what I probably need to do in my future would be to actually prepare a script and practice that, have that experience. Mm-hmm. And again, to be able to throw it away. I think it's important to have like everything. Because, I, al- because yeah. I also have a lot of, I get more stressed by having to memorize. Absolutely. My brain doesn't work that way. And so I resist it. But I always like to go towards the things that I resist and not give it so much power do you think it's because we're taught as yoga teachers to read a room you know you're not supposed to go in there with this is what I'm going to teach you Mm -hmm. have to go in and see energetically what you're working with you read the vibe Uh, you know that's a a good facilitator uh, doesn't impose the a good facilitator just takes in and uh, is able to manage the room and shift gears at any given time Mm -hmm. based on how the energy the room changes but I know for myself what I need is uh I usually carry with me when I have to do any public speaking a smoky quartz crystal and because a it's grounding but it's more um, it's not a smooth crystal it's a it has rough edges the sensory uh, feeling for it since my I'm prone to dissociation based on my own my own trauma my my life when I get overwhelmed I check out vertigo is a response to that when my nervous system becomes deregulated, chemicals will go through my body and I will go into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. It happens very, very quickly. My psychological response then is dissociation. That's why I lose my train of thought. And I know that about myself. So if I have, that's why, Kate, you gave me this, you can't, y'all can't see it, but Kate had given me this necklace that has these little points on it. Off of her neck, by off the her, way. Yes, literally, off of her she neck. Went, I like your necklace. Neck. Yeah, and I, she doesn't have any jewelry on today because obviously she doesn't want me to go shopping <laughs> off of her body. But this necklace is a perfect example, and it's probably the reason why when I eyeballed it, besides just liking it aesthetically, it has these points, and it has... It's a markuba, an ascension stone. An ascension stone. Mm-hmm. It's got these points to it, and it has smooth... Uh, I don't know how to explain, but there's a lot of texture to it. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm in a position where I'm speaking, and I don't know if you noticed, I'm doing it now, but I'm just kind of doing it unconsciously. 
it gives me, it has an, a sensory experience that keeps me in my body. How did you realize that that could ground you? Somatic therapy. So when I started dealing with my trauma years ago, that was one of the things that was taught to me to, I mean, in yoga class, I also had obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. So with obsessive compulsive disorder, you, you, you're always looking to self-regulate. I did it with even numbers, fours and eights. And so I understood self-regulation. And so when they told me that, you know, cer certain people, they, they do all different kinds of things for self-regulation, but for me, using a, an object and having a sensory experience is good for, for me, even smelling my hair, believe it or not, that if, if you see me in an environment uh, and I pull my hair in front of my face and smell it, it means that I'm trying to self-regulate. Hmm. So the texture and the smell of my hair will help me to stay in my body. So these are things that I learned in therapy. Well, I think there's one really pressing final question that yeah. we have after all this. What's your favorite cookie? Oh, my favorite cookie. Well, you know, I'm not even going to tell you because now it's there like... Were no cookies we were not I'm, like, I'm traumatized. <laughs> I'm traumatized. I came here like... I'll tell you oh, as she's sniffing her hair, you guys. Tell you <laughs> cookie. Oh, I, you know, I am a cookie lover, but I'd have to say peanut butter, Ooh. but it's got to be done. It's got to be done right. There's got to be a crunch to it. It can't like, be... Does it still have to be slightly soft in the middle, but crunchy yes, on the outside? of course. Like a perimeter But it's thing? It almost mm. even slightly burnt on the edges. Mm. You know? Oh, look at the both of you. <laughs> Peanut butter is on my standard cookie list. So is it? Yes. Would you be offended uh -huh. if it had a little sea salt sprinkled on it? You see, no. Now I'm just angry. Yeah. See, that wouldn't... This is the kind of thing that Catherine does. I would have thought of it, and now yes. I want it. You will be receiving a shipment of cookies very soon, Oh, Sean. my God. But that would never occur to me to put sea salt on a peanut butter cookie. But the moment you said it, it's like I can absolutely... The bring the peanut Don't feel bad. Just take it with you. Sea salt makes everything better. Mm. Okay. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. This is... I have... I don't know even what kind of envy to call it. Food envy. Talent yeah. envy. You know, I don't know this what one. it is, but yes, I have that, Catherine. <laughs> well, I like to keep a cookie in my pocket when I get stressed out, and Except I just take <laughs> bites out of it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that <That's> regulates your <laughs> nervous system. <laughs> thank you, Sean. Thanks for joining us. You're so welcome. I love you. Joy. Thank I you. love you, and I love you, and oh, thank you for thank my, you. no, no, thank you, and thank you for my necklace. You are welcome. And I like that shirt a lot. Yes. Oh, <laughs> she's wearing a strip it down. A two bright love on her arms shirt. So. You should give it to Sean <laughs> right now. <laughs> if I hadn't done yoga in it, you could have this shirt. I'm gonna have some mail to you. You mean so it's sweaty? gross yes better yet <laughs> <laughs> thank you you're Thanks, welcome Sean. thank you all right y'all oh i forgot what you i was gonna this. say we're going to break oh yeah, yeah, yeah. go to break I'm a one-trick pony, literally. I show up at kids' parties and act cute. That's pretty much it. So excuse me for being bitter when Geico says not only could we save you money on car insurance, but we do more, like give you 24-7 access online, over the phone, or even via our award-winning mobile app. Well, ooh-la-la, la, aren't they multi-talented? <laughs> hey, I said organic carrots. <laughs> Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Sean Korn is awesome, and she actually so awesome. She actually dropped some knowledge, and also told us that she taught Madonna yoga. I know. I can't believe she didn't elaborate on that. We didn't follow up on that, and actually, now I want to run down and chase her and bring her back in here. But let's let it go because what was more interesting <laughs> is her actual interpretation 
and experience in life and not the celebrity superstars that she may or may not and definitely did train in the 90s. Don't worry, I'm going to get all of the dirt on it and put it up on social. (laughs) Now, we had a separate wellness cookie that we wanted to offer y'all today, but we feel like Sean Korn just offered so much goodness and so much wellness that we wanted to shelve that particular wellness cookie. Don't worry, it's tasty, and we will bring it back out. In AKA, a- I need to go bake some cookies because I have been cookie shamed. You today. did. She did cookie shame you. So we're going to leave the show there today because we thought Sean Corn brought the goods and we didn't think we needed to drag it down to a lower level <laughs> like we always do. <laughs> so thanks everybody for listening. Free Cookies is brought to you by ESPNW. Please go to ESPNW.com to check out all your women's sports news, also columns and tips on lifestyle and from famous female athletes you can check it out all on espnw.com yes and we are produced by the amazing sarah johnson who we adore and who's and in love and who's in london probably so eating biscuits right Jimmy now dodgers Jimmy dodgers and we are edited by brendan rosen we also got production help from martin onebu and tony chow thanks guys appreciate it and it would absolutely mean the world to us if you would take a second if you like the show to subscribe rate and review it really helps people find us and it makes us love you so much and you can email us at freecookies at espn.com thanks y'all we love you peace